conjunction with World Mental Health Day happening on 10th of October as well as Suicide Prevention Day that passed on the 10th of September, we will be presenting a four-part podcast special dedicated to normalizing conversations about mental health. In part two today, you will be hearing from Tanushri and Siro of Missy Solidarity, a platform that campaigned for the decriminalization of attempted suicide in Malaysia. You will also be hearing from Datuk Mawin Kwai, the Commissioner of Suhakam, which is the Human Rights Commission of Malaysia, speaking out against criminalizing attempted suicide. This is a trigger warning, as the episode will touch on issues surrounding suicidal ideation, domestic abuse, self-harm, depression, and LGBTQ discrimination. Last week, we heard from reporter Dina and psychiatrist Dr. Stephen on the effects of the pandemic and gender roles on suicide rates. In this episode, our guests will talk about the history behind criminalizing attempted suicide, why this law continues to harm people and does not in fact act as a deterrence to the act, as well as the intersectionality of mental health issues with the pandemic, discrimination, inequalities, and what we can do to help. This episode should not be taken as medical advice and you should still consult your own mental health care provider for help. But if you need someone to talk to, we have left some lines to contact in our show notes. We have also left some helpful resources from Missy Solidarity for you to check out and participate should you wish to join the fight to decriminalize suicide now. To our listeners today, thank you for taking the time to learn, spread awareness and maybe even help someone else along the way. My name is Hanushri. I'm Missy Solidarity's um, executive officer, as well as the project head for the Decriminalized Suicide Project. I'm Ciro, and I am a writer, researcher, and illustrator for Missy Solidarity. So, Missy Solidarity is a youth-based organization that focuses on direct action, and we aim to cover all progressive issues under the sun. Um, that's based in Malaysia. So some projects that we have are Project Serotonin, which is the Decriminalized Suicide Project. We have Misi Bawang, which focuses on an LGBTQ booklet. We have HSKLU Project, which focuses on the Forest Reserve in Kuala Langat. So Hakam is a statutory body. We have just celebrated our 22nd anniversary uh, in uh, Sohakam. We have uh, various mandates, which are spelled out in the uh, Act itself. But principally, uh, Section 4 is the um, important uh, section which um, uh, gives us, or rather empowers us and gives us the responsibility to uh, create and promote awareness of uh, human rights, uh, to provide education, to advise and to assist the government in formulating legislation and um, necessary measures to be taken, to uh, also to look at international treaties and to advise the government on the accession to these uh, important treaties. And a large part of our work deals with uh, addressing complaints which have uh, which are brought to the Commission uh, by members of the public, uh, from cases like uh, deaths in custody to uh, immigration issues, uh, issues of gender, issues of statelessness, and so on. Uh, 
firstly, allow me to uh, get the terminology correct, uh, because I think very often the uh, conversation out there uh, it seems to be getting a little confusing uh, because uh, suicide itself is not a crime, simply because if somebody commits suicide, that person is dead and there can be no prosecution. So what we should be talking about is attempted suicide. Right? It is where a person attempts to take his own life uh, and it is not fatal, not successful, and therefore he's still alive and he faces the prospect of prosecution by the um, police. Yeah, so that's where uh, I want to uh, explain that and, and to make sure that everybody understands this, that we are, uh, any talk about decriminalization must be decriminalization of attempted suicide. Attempted suicide is an offence under Section 309 of the Penal Code. Let's talk about this from the historical perspective. Our Penal Code is uh, adopted almost page and chapter uh, from, the Indian, from the Indian Penal Code, which of course originated or brought in from the uh, British uh, system. Yeah, we, uh, we, we practice the... Uh, uh, common law system, part of the Commonwealth and so on. So it is very, very historical. And the uh, British from, ooh, from the early, early years, they have always uh, criminalized uh, attempted suicide. And um, this was a time when mental health perhaps was not uh, uh, so well known and uh, there was no awareness of uh, mental illness. So the only way to prevent people from trying to take their own lives was to scare them, to frighten them, and say, look, if you don't succeed, you will have to face the law. You will be punished, you will go to jail. So it was always uh, the threat of punishment rather than the, uh, uh, the possibility of treatment uh, that was the approach taken by the authorities. So unfortunately, this approach was um, followed in India, and then we followed here in uh, Malaysia. But our penal code is already a long time, long, long ago. And um, uh, it's about time that we, we look at this. And so your program on talking about uh, uh, decriminalization of attempted suicide is very, very timely, especially today, given the high numbers that we are seeing because of the COVID uh, problem, uh, things have been exacerbated. And uh, I think the, the stats that uh, I've been looking at is quite uh, scary because I think on an average, there are about four suicides a day in Malaysia. So this is a very high number. So going back to the historical reasons, apart from the fact that it was uh, uh, mental health was not uh, well understood and so on, uh, the other was the religious uh, aspect. And uh, if you go back to the medieval days of um, England <clears throat> and Europe and so on, and uh, from the religious aspect, taking one's life was a sin. It was immoral. Uh, so if you try to attempt, you attempt suicide and you don't succeed, you, then you must be punished for doing an immoral act. Yeah? So um, uh, that is a very uh, archaic uh, reason uh, in my mind. So 309 or the equivalent of that was brought in to maintain uh, social order. This was uh, a system where you know, uh, anyone who has attempted suicide will be identified, uh, will be prosecuted, and there'll be shaming, shaming in the public. So uh, this, was, <clears throat> this was to act as a deterrent. So basically I can say these are some of the major reasons for uh, introduction of introducing the law on attempted suicide. 
suicide is still criminalized in Malaysia because of religious issues as well. A lot of people believe that suicide is against their belief and religion. Therefore, it is okay to be made illegal and a crime. And whoever who commits this quote-unquote sin, they deserve to be punished. You see, people say things like, oh, if they're being put into prison, then they would refrain from attempting suicide again later. They think that it, it solves the problem, but they don't realize that it actually adds on to the problem because it, it contributes to the stigma that suicidal people have weak faith and the only way to overcome this is by getting closer to religion, you know. People don't try to understand why one attempts suicide. They, they just think that, um, oh, heavy fines and prison would solve the problem, which which doesn't, you know, it's it's inhumane. See, when someone is suicidal, it, it shows that their state of mental health is very alarming and they need professional intervention. And, you know, when you're sick, you, you're not feeling well. You go to the doctor and you tell the doctor like, hey, I'm, I'm not feeling well, you know, um, I need help and things like that. But, you know, when you're mentally unwell, going to a professional isn't the first thing that people direct you to. And speaking of that, criminalization of suicide also restricts people from speaking out and getting the help that they need because they fear of being prosecuted, you know. And it, it's a valid fear because, like, how does one, like, go out and, and say that, hey, I've attempted suicide, I need help and stuff, without the fear that they will be reported when, by law, technically, it's still a crime in Malaysia, right? And it's also important to note that even if they aren't convicted, let's say like they aren't arrested or fined, the process of going through that whole law is extremely detrimental to the victims, you know. And like like I said earlier, when someone attempts suicide, it's it's a cry for help to put an end to the pain and suffering that they're going through. And they need to be able to reach out and ask for help and talk to people about what they're going through without fearing of the consequences that they may face later. And I believe that suicide prevention starts with decriminalizing suicide. Only then you'll be able to create a safer and more accessible space for survivors and victims to reach out and get the help that they need. And to sum it all up, you know, criminalizing suicide has more tangible harms not only to the victims, but to the advancement of society as a whole too, compared to its most supposed good, which by the way, there isn't any. If you look at the numbers, right, from 2020 to May 2021, a total of 1,099 cases were recorded and 468 of them were in the first five months of 2021, compared to 631 cases in the whole of 2020. And these are just the recorded numbers, you know. And I think that I've been hearing about suicide in the news like every other day or so. And it's sad because I feel like this will exacerbate even further because of the distressing times that we are in right now. Hence, why that it's so important to decriminalize suicide right now more than ever because people are already going through a difficult phase in their life that has taken a drastic toll on their mental health. And I think that decriminalizing suicide would be able to lessen the burden for them and make it more accessible for them to reach out for help. I do not think that uh, prosecution itself is a deterrent to anyone wanting to commit uh, suicide. With the law, people are still uh, attempting suicide and the numbers are increasing. So if it is a deterrent, why are numbers increasing?
it, it begs the question, or rather the answer begs the question. And um, so I, I don't think uh, from the deterrence point of view, uh, it really uh, works. And I'm not sure whether many others will share my view, but I think uh, the fact that we have Section 309, this doesn't really uh, work on the minds of anyone who is uh, thinking of uh, taking his own life because there's so many other problems that they are thinking of at that uh, crucial moment. And uh, so, you know, why, why, do you, why would a per person worry about uh, possible prosecution? One argument is that, oh, and I think it's quite a, a sick argument, it says, oh, with the threat of 309, you better make a good job of your attempt to kill yourself. <laughs> that cannot be right. Um, then if that's the case, 309 is actually then promoting suicides. You see what I mean? If, if you think, if the argument is that, oh, 309 frightens people or scares people from attempted suicide, from being charged for failing to commit a suicide, does it then encourage people to be more drastic in their action to make sure that a suicide, the attempt com uh, committed uh, is successful? Then I think this is a very sick logic because uh, if you look at it that way, then it actually, uh, the criminalization under 309 actually promotes and it encourages fatal attempts. That cannot be so. It should not be so. So this is uh, important to know. The, uh, in the first quarter of this year, 2021, uh, as I mentioned, there's an average of four suicides a day. Uh, but from 2019 to 2020, uh, it rose from 609 to 631 last year. And um, now this is even more interesting because um, from January to May uh, this year, on record, we have uh, 468 cases. And then going back from 2019 to May uh, 2021, a total, a total of 1,708. But these are high numbers. Now comes a breakdown. Men, 281. Women, 1,427. You see, the numbers are so disproportionate. It's almost, what, uh, six times more. And the, uh, from what I have uh, read, the age group, I'm surprisingly, and I, I was really shocked to know this, uh, the age group, the majority of people um, who uh, commit suicides uh, in this number uh, in the age group between oh, 15, 15 to uh, 18 years. Young people, and these are the police statistics. So it is not so much uh, the elder people and so on, but you see a lot of young people. So there must be some very serious uh, uh, mental health issues out there, you know, have such a high number in Malaysia. Decriminalized suicide now, or its Malay counterpart, Bunodi Bukanjanaya. The Malay hashtag was really just a way for us to track our campaign, and the English one, I'm pretty sure you know, um, it's really established. It became popular in August last year when a petition was started by Minds First, I believe, um, after a disabled man was charged um, after attempting suicide. So, what prompted it was really the pandemic. The number of suicides have increased rapidly over the past, like the first five months of 2021 really. And all we see in news and media are really just statistics and that's great, but statistics only do so much as we've seen. We haven't reached the point of decriminalization. 
So we thought of making it more human-centric and bringing in the voices and the stories of those who are really affected by the law, regardless of if they were charged or not. Um, so what we did was put up a Google form to get respondents to type in their stories, which we now posted on our Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, um, which we call Stories from Survivors. It's always been hard to seek help before the pandemic as well as now during the pandemic. Um, the main issue being that therapy was never cheap, especially the good quality ones um, or in private institutions. Um, only up till recently, clinical psychologists were regulated. So before this, um, they had the liberty to charge as exorbitantly as they want. And so they would use that to their advantage and manipulate, I guess, people who are vulnerable and want help. And then you could go to the government sector and, you know, it isn't as good. Mental health is a very premature and underdeveloped um, field in Malaysia with the Mental Health Act just being introduced in 2001. It's only like 20 years old. A big issue in government um, institutions is that we are severely lacking professionals, specifically clinical psychologists, counsellors, psychiatrists. Um, we're supposed to have 3,000 psychiatrists evenly distributed, which is another issue. Um, all of our professionals are concentrated in the city centre when they should be evenly distributed to, say, the outskirts, Kedah, Perlis, things like that. But they're all focused in the city, Kuala Lumpur, Selangor areas. And even then, we're severely lacking psychiatrists. So like I said before, we're supposed to have around 3,000 evenly distributed psychiatrists but as of 2018, we only have 410. Another issue is that, to add on to that, we're supposed to have one psychiatrist per 10,000 people. But in Malaysia, we have barely two. We have 1.27 psychiatrists per 100,000 people. Malaysia doesn't seem to care about mental health, even though we're not doing that well. Our suicide rates are terrible, especially during the pandemic. And it's further shown um, as the budget 2021 mental health allocation reduced from 2020 by 61% during the pandemic when mental health is at an all-time low. In Malaysia's COVID-19 fund, we were only allocated not even 0.1%, but 0.037% towards mental health, um, domestic abuse, violence, substance abuse, things like that. So that's one issue that is definitely exacerbated during the pandemic, but it's always been bad. Another issue that I brought up was, you know, not enough professionals. So because of this, the waiting time to seek help, to be treated before the pandemic itself was up to six months. So that's obviously made worse now with, you know, hospitals are full with patients with COVID-19. How are these people going to get help now? And mental health and mental illness isn't something that you have like the liberty of time, it's time of time is of essence, you know, it will only get worse as time goes on. Even if you're not at a crucial stage right now, by six months, it would have probably gotten worse and, you know, hopefully not, but some people might end up um, dying by suicide. And I guess you could say that a great alternative is online therapy, but, you know, it needs to be said that it doesn't work for everyone. It isn't a one size fit all. 
Um, another big issue is that some people can't have online therapy. You don't have the resources for it. You don't have good internet. You don't have um, you know, laptops or mobile phones, or you just can't go for online therapy because you're in an abusive household. Um, for example, say, if your partner is abusing you, you know, domestic abuse, you don't have the liberty to sit in a quiet room and you know, talk your heart out about your issues. You can't do that. So I, I guess a big issue is that the government has not been paying enough attention to mental health, even before the pandemic and even more so now marginalized and underprivileged communities have always been at the brunt of mental health. They are not getting the services that they need um, and that they deserve. So for example, um, the B40 and even M40 community right now, you know, 600,000 households were affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and a, lot, um, a big majority of the M40 group became B40 overnight. Almost 3 million Malaysians could fall into poverty due to the pandemic. And you know, sure, monetary issue, uh, monetary funds and all this, they can help, but they're really temporary. And, you know, another thing to bring up is hotlines. We've established so many hotlines during the pandemic. We've had, you know, we have Befrienders, we have Talian Kase, we have the MKN hotline, things like that. But those are merely band-aids to the situation. And when your savings are depleted, and you don't have anything to rely on, that obviously affects one's mental health, pre-existing or not. Um, these money issues, which are worsened or due to job insecurities, can only exacerbate pre-existing depression and anxiety symptoms, which only worsen during the pandemic because there's no job guarantee in the future. There's too many uncertainties during the pandemic. And another issue that can be brought up about um, not only the underprivileged but also marginalized communities would be uh, women because of gender discrimination and gender inequality. Um, sure, mental illnesses stem from biological differences, but it's also important to note that gender roles, um, culture, and just generally a woman's subordinate role uh, in society, especially in Asian cultures, they play a very important role in exacerbating these gender gaps in mental illness. And um, you know, it's a proven statistic that, yes, men do um, go through domestic abuse, but women go through it a bit more. Sure, there are um, uncertainties in that, as men might not be comfortable with coming out and admitting that they are being abused. Um, but for the women who have came out and admitted that they are being abused, the queries for physical, sexual, and social violence in Malaysia um, has only increased. So a study done by uh, the UN, I believe, this year during the pandemic showed that some things that were searched on Google increased, such as marks of an abusive relationship or signs of violent relationships or how to cover bruises on face. Those search queries increased in the pandemic by 40, 50, 60 percent. And obviously, um, abuse takes a toll on one's mental health and obviously pushing one to um, self-harm or suicide. And another big issue in Malaysia is queer discrimination. Um, it's obvious that queer people are unable to be their true selves, as we have laws that promote hate crimes and threats to the queer community just for being themselves. You know, we have oppressive and discriminatory laws that aim to curb queer people 
and homosexuality, I guess. But these laws have only worsened their mental state, obviously. Um, a study done by Suhakam, I believe in 2020, with 100 transgender participants, found that a large chunk of them experienced suicidal ideation, self-harm, and have attempted suicide one to five times during the pandemic. But, you know, with things like this, it's not just during the pandemic, it's in their whole lives because they're not allowed to be their true, their true selves. And the reason why it's made worse because the whole essence of therapy, I guess, or a small chunk of it, is to express your doubts to your therapist. But being queer, you can't do that safely because you fear um, being prosecuted for expressing yourself. So they tend to, or rather they're forced to keep it to themselves and suffer. And one more big issue that could lead to um, mental illnesses exacerbating is racial discrimination. And it's important to note that racial discrimination isn't just being excluded from friend groups due to your skin color or bearing slurs, which are just as bad, um, but it includes being systemically discriminated as well. But it was found that even day-to-day -day harassment, such as name-calling, had caused tremendous psychological distress. So what more for systemic discrimination when you are barred from participating in society equally? And a study done by an independent researcher found that Malaysians with an Indian background are at the brunt of racial discrimination as suicide was most prevalent in this race group. So it intersects with many other things, could be because of who you are, your race, it could be because Indians are at the brunt of socioeconomically, they are at the end, they're not receiving the right funds, things like that, that contribute to suicides. And I think a greater point or a conclusion to point out from all these factors that I've listed is that all these factors, socioeconomic status, gender, sexuality, racial discrimination, they all intersect with suicide. It's not a one factor equals suicide. So for instance, um, like the domestic abuse example that I gave just now, if you're also in poverty with lower education, your risk of suicide increases. So although they are individual factors with their very own detriments, it's intersectionality with each other that increases the risk of suicide. And you know, being systemically discriminated puts you at a socioeconomic drawback, which again increases the risk of suicide. And for things like poverty and lower education, you might not be aware of mental health itself or aware of um, the services that are provided to help you deal with those issues. So you're forced to bear the sufferings alone and some resort to self-harming and attempting suicide, but then are only faced with more burden if their attempt uh, does not go through because then they're faced with prosecution and things like that. So intersectionality, basically that's what it means. It's when different factors intersect with each other because not, nothing in life is just like one-off. Everything intersects with each other, meaning um, there are many factors that affect one, say, decision in life. And that goes the same with mental health. Um, for example, people might think that mental health is an individual's issue or it's solely due to yourself because of genetics, but that's not the case. Um, it's due to environmental factors as well. And a big um, misconception that people think is that mental health and suicide is apolitical, but it's not. It's very much intertwined with 
the current state of affairs in the country. So, for example, um, if someone is diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, disorder, and they are nervous about going back into society after the pandemic because of how, you know, it's it's a different world that we're living in right now. That is not their fault. Sure, their anxiety is contributing to that, but it's further worsened and exacerbated by the state that we're living in. The mishandling of the pandemic, the you know, not straightforward SOPs that are affecting that. The uncertainties in life greatly affect how your mental illness is and it, it, it puts it at, at a detriment. Um, I guess one example that kind of shows the intersectionality would be a few days ago, there was a case of um, a man, a 28-year-old man uh, who died by suicide, um, who was also depressed. So people might think that, oh, because he had depression, that's why he died by suicide. But if you read the news, you would know that he was isolated and he was away from his family for six months. And that was due to the pandemic and the mishandling of the pandemic. So yes, depression might have led to that, but even more so, it was the fact that he wasn't able to be with his family that worsened his depression. And that's really what intersectionality means. Everything is not one-off. There's many factors. And more importantly, I guess the main factor that affects not just mental health, but everything in general, your life, is politics and the current state of affairs. Uh, as I started off by saying, uh, suicide itself is not a crime, but attempted suicide is up to now. And I've given my reasons why I do not support the um, continuation of this offence under the penal code. But having said that, I, I think I want to make it very, very clear and to say that people who aid in a bet, people who encourage vulnerable people who already have suicidal tendencies and encourage them and uh, assist them or to incite them to commit the act, I think the book, the law book, the penal code must be thrown at these people because we cannot have uh, people who support, to assist, incite, or encourage suicidal behavior. And there's already the law there. It's also in the penal code, uh, section 305. And uh, 305 here, um, actually, it's a very serious uh, offense where if somebody abets the suicide, that means the actual uh, fate, the, the death of a child or a mentally unsound person, then the penalty under 305 for a person who aids in the bets is actually the death penalty itself. So the law takes it very, very seriously. Uh, if it's not a death penalty, it will be imprisonment of less than 20 years plus a fine. So um, 305 is uh, where the victim is a child or an insane person. But in any other case where it's not a child or where a person is not mentally unsound, um, but um, if the person uh, commits suicide, and uh, this is uh, occasion with the uh, eating and abetting by somebody, that person can be charged under Section 306. And that also is a serious offence because it carries a penalty of imprisonment of a fine and uh, less than 10 years imprisonment. Right? So the law recognises. So um, while on the one hand uh, we say decriminalise attempted suicide, uh, these people need help. But on the other hand, People, naughty people, uh, who uh, 
uh, encourage, who assist, or to incite people who are you know, wanting to commit suicide. Now, these people should be dealt with very seriously under the law. In a nutshell, it's very simple uh, to explain this. Number one, uh, there is no uh, offence for suicide itself, right? Because a person is dead, number one. Number two, where there's attempted suicide, uh, our view is that there should be no criminalization of that. It should not be an offence for attempted suicide. But people who aid and abet, people who encourage and incite uh, suicide or attempted suicide, they should be punished and punished severely. A lot of people think that when we decriminalize suicide, we are legalizing suicide. People think that, oh, um, so you're, when you want to decriminalize suicide, you're saying that it's okay for people to commit suicide. Uh, people are saying that, oh, so you're saying that uh, suicide is an individual right, so they can just kill themselves and we should be fine with it. But that's not our point. We are not trying to legalize suicide. We are trying to decriminalize it so people who are suicidal can reach out for help. So help would be much more accessible for them. We are not saying that, you know, we want, we are promoting suicide. That's not our aim. Our aim is to decriminalize it so they can, it's easier for them to reach out for help. Yeah, so the number of suicide cases hopefully can be reduced a long time because more people can get the help they need. So that, that's the distinction. Yeah, so we did make a post um, a while ago on a few better resources and hotlines that you can reach out to that are also specialized um, because some of the hotlines that we have right now that are established, they're not very specialized and sometimes you need someone who is knowledgeable in that area, say substance abuse or domestic abuse. Um, you want to make sure that your hotline the person at the end of the hotline is not homophobic, you know, that might exacerbate things. We have a more comprehensive post on that for some uh, on our Instagram and Twitter, but some of it would be like um, MMHA, Malaysian Mental Health Association. So we have a women's aid organization for survivors of domestic violence and rape, or if you're looking for something that's more accommodating to your religion, you can contact Tan Siang, which is like centralized around Buddhism. There's also Miyasa, which has Islamic spiritual therapy. If you're into that, we have Souls Help, which, you know, they offer subsidized rates and there's a lot more. I think that, uh, to use a cliche, repealing this Section 209 is what's known as a low-hanging fruit. And um, it does not, I don't think it will create a political stir and, um, you know, it's not like uh, abolishing the death penalty. That's a much, much bigger issue. And I would think that um, uh, generally, uh, if the government listens to the calls of the uh, people, of the public, uh, they will consider this. Uh, and it's not a very difficult decision uh, to make because um, to me, it should be a win-win situation. And that is uh, when people know um, that um, it is not no longer a crime, but it doesn't mean to say, so, you know, you just go and literally hang yourself. But we're not talking that. We're not saying that. Uh, what we're saying is that if you have such uh, tendencies, don't worry about the uh, legal uh, repercussions. Uh, you should be worrying about seeking help. And then just let me uh, uh, um, 
say this, that uh, the call for decriminalization of attempted suicide has been growing louder and stronger, especially since uh, 20, uh, 2020, since uh, COVID has um, really tear up in our lives. And uh, calls have been made by youth groups, uh, made by the Director General of the Ministry of Health himself, uh, no less, Tan Sri uh, Hisham. Um, then we have uh, YB Lim Kitsiang. He has called for decriminalization. Uh, Bar Council It is also part of their uh, advocacy work to call for an end to Section 209. And of course, uh, including Sohakam. So um, there are many groups out there that um, have thought about it. And uh, this call is getting uh, louder and stronger. And um, I suppose the way forward really, of course, is um, to minimize or to mitigate the reasons that um, people uh, think of when they want to attempt uh, suicide. And I think in the long term, um, the way, I mean, the best thing that can happen is to uh, maybe go back to pre-COVID days um, where without uh, this pandemic uh, causing so much trouble, um, people can get back to some normalcy, some form of uh, uh, you know, usual uh, living before, um, getting work uh, so that uh, financial stress, which is one of the main uh, reasons really, is um, the stress is uh, removed. And um, there's more social interaction. Uh, people can meet up with other members of the family, fam familial uh, support, better advice and uh, uh, encouragement to seek professional help, to seek counselling. If someone comes up to you and says that they're suicidal and you don't know what to say, that's completely fine. Sometimes they're not looking for someone to give them solutions. They just want someone to listen. And sometimes adding on or saying the wrong things will only make it worse and you'll never know how to act in the moment. But at the same time, it's important to know that if they show that they are in danger and they might attempt in the near future, you cannot keep it to yourself. You have to go to a trusted person and tell them that you have to keep them you know, on watch because they're a little risky. Um, but above anything, just be there to listen. Don't be judgmental. Don't, be, don't expose them to their friends or things like that. Um, just lend, a, lend an ear. Yeah, it's very important that when someone comes and tells you about whatever they're going through, no matter how little it is, no matter how big their problem is, don't compare it to other people or yourself, you know. I think that's very important. Like, a lot of people like to say, like, hey, uh, I've gone through it and I'm fine, so why are you overreacting? Like, different people have different struggles and they deal with their struggles differently. So it's very important to understand, to be understanding to their problems, you know. And just like Tanushi said earlier, lend a year, okay. And oftentimes like educate yourself, you know, on the stigmas. That's that's very important, you know. If someone has called you out and said that, oh what you said is has affected me, like don't take it personally, but take it as a as a way to change and like improve yourself so you can be a better listener and a better person for your friends and family if they need you. Thank you all for listening to this episode and thank you so much to Tanushri, Siro and Datuk Ma for sharing your insights and for fighting the good fight. To find out more about Missy Solidarity's campaign to decriminalize suicide now, please check out their website at 
decriminalizesuicidenow.msolidarity.org to see how you can help. Do join us for part 3 of our special, dropping next week where we will be busting some common myths and misconceptions surrounding mental health. There's still time for you to take part in this episode, so please check out the form in our show notes if you'd like to share your story or views, because we would really love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.